This is Sports Talk with Phil Cordblue, Chris Bergen, and Pat Daniel. Sports Talk is heard across the state on radio affiliates of the Sports Talk Media Network and is streaming live on sportstalksc.com as well as Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube. The South Carolina Education Lottery lucky number to call in is 888-898-2525. That's 888-898-2525. Now, here are Phil, Chris, and Pat with tonight's edition of Sports Talk. And good evening, everybody. Welcome into Sports Talk, Sports Talk Media Network. It's a Monday after. What a weekend of sports. Hope you enjoyed it with the NFL playoffs. Down to two games, down to two teams, and, well, two games, if you want to count the Pro Bowl games, not going to be a Pro Bowl game, but the little bit of um, that fun count, and Phil. frivolity. Yeah, whatever they're going to do to try to create interest in a postseason uh, all-star setting for uh, the NFL uh, just shows you how how soft we've become. We've taken the Pro, pro Bowl, we've just uh, flushed it down the toilet. But we got two teams left for uh, one game. In the Super Bowl, it should be a heck of a Super Bowl, I would say. Kansas City, Philadelphia, certainly based on the early uh, lines, uh, people are expecting it to be a very uh, tight ball game. The lines have moved both ways, and I think last one I saw, Philly was favored by about a point and a half. I'm sure it'll move around as people uh, put their bets in. Uh, basketball over the weekend, uh, South Carolina loses a tough one in Athens. I was there for that one. It's an enjoyable ball game. Uh, 10,000 plus inside Stegeman Coliseum. And so that's a, a sold out place for them. South Carolina played well enough to uh, have a lead and uh, have a chance to win that ball game, but uh, could not uh, hold on to the basketball. Couldn't stop fouling. Couldn't make shots down the stretch. And of course, Clemson won a very tough game at Florida State, uh, playing shorthanded once again, though they did get Chase Hunter back. And that was huge because he was huge. The Tigers jumped out to a big lead and saw it uh, evaporate, then had a tight win the rest of the way with Florida State, but that's a good road win for them. Both teams back in action. Hmm? If you look at the uh, net rankings, it evidently was not a good road win for them. They actually dropped after the win. Yeah, we'll get to that in a second. I was going to say both teams uh, back in action on uh, Tuesday night. Uh, Clemson on the road up to Boston College, and the Gamecocks will be at home to take on Mississippi State. So, Kind of set the tone for everything. I do want to say this off the bat. I know a lot of people, you know, belly aching about some officiating in the South Carolina game there at the end, belly aching about the referees in the NFL playoffs. I love officials. I am all for officials. I think they do a great job. I think that they are perfect people. And uh, when they make a call, they don't make a call. <laughs> it's never a mistake. You'll never hear me after seeing what happened in the Celtics Lakers game on Saturday night. I will never complain about an official making or not making a call again. So I just want to thank the officials for what they do at all levels from the pros to the colleges, to the high schools, to the little leagues. You people do not get enough credit for being the great people that you are. Well said, sir. Mm -hmm. Full of sarcasm, and I get your points, but there is a systemic problem with officiating in college basketball in particular. But we won't go there unless we we want to go there because you can't tell me that the officials did not have a lion's share into the reason why South Carolina got beat by Georgia on Saturday. Well, it depends on – I mean, 
Now, I couldn't tell. I had people on our timeline on that last play uh, to uh, Davis where he had a chance to maybe score at the very end, um, and a defender uh, ran right in front of him. I couldn't tell from where I was sitting. You know, it's one thing when you're sitting up in the stands and you're trying to observe uh, and you're not influenced mm -hmm. by one sure. team or the other. You're trying to dis discern if there, if there was contact or not. I mean, I truly couldn't tell. The guy flashed across in front of him. Uh, and he caught, and it forced him to kind of lose control of the basketball. Thus, he wasn't able to get a shot off. Then, of course, immediately on our timeline, uh, when I described what happened, it was like he was fouled. He was fouled. He was fouled. Okay, okay. Well, they didn't call it. So, is I it a foul? About that play. Is it a, is it a foul if it isn't called? You know, I mean, maybe, yeah. maybe in your opinion, but in the opinion of the only people that matter, that's the officials. Uh, but I mean, I think. You know, talking to the players and to uh, Lamont Paris afterwards, well, he didn't say it directly, but I think the players kind of indicated that there was some contact on that last play. Mm -hmm. Well, I'm not talking about just that last play. I'm talking about overall, especially in the second half, when one team who happens to be the home team makes 14, uh, excuse me, uh, nine more free throws than the opponent even attempts. You can't tell me that the officials don't have a major impact on the game, and it's unfortunate because that's a game South Carolina probably should have won if the calls had been mediated out fairly. I saw it, at, I saw it for Coastal Carolina, same scenario up at James Madison, 33-6 to six in free throws. Uh -huh. And the problem you have, and, and Gino Ariema, who I guess has no worries about repercussions from the Big East or the NCAA, he just basically flat out called out the officials at halftime of their game with Tennessee. He said, this is what you expect when you come here. You're going to get lousy officiating against you. And college basketball, unfortunately, has a systemic problem, as I mentioned earlier, about officials that get bought in, you know, sort of play into the crowd, and normally it favors the home team. doesn't always. I mean, Clemson was able to handle that, and actually I think probably attempted more free throws than Florida State did. So it's not every game. But when you see a scenario where there's just one team getting so many more free throw attempts than the other, you have to start questioning and ask. And the problem is here, there is no – there's no accountability of officiating. Why don't the officials have to come to a post-game press conference like the head coaches and players do? The head coach has to answer for question, uh, you know, questionable plays he called or certain uh, circumstances of, of the way the players played. But the officials never have to come and answer any questions. It's almost like it's taboo to question the three guys who are in charge of the game. But we can question everybody else involved. Yeah, I hear and what you're saying. Until that changes, I hear, until that changes, we're going to still deal with it. Yeah, I, I hear what you're saying, but I mean that could become a very that could become a very dangerous setting because, I mean, the lack of respect for officials, number one, uh, by some people in the media who take these things really personal. I mean, things could really get out of hand. I mean, they control themselves in dealing with coaches and players. For the most part, sometimes there's an exchange that gets out of hand a little bit, but by and large, the decorum is is somewhat calm. I could see it really getting out of hand. You got an official in there answering questions about why he did or did not make a call, and um, I don't know. I, I think you raise the level of uh, toxic toxicity that way uh, when you when you you know. I think there should. I think the officials should um, maybe you know. If there's a uh, a controversial call or no call, mm -hmm. then they should issue a statement explaining it. But um, I think exposing them to direct questioning um, to something like that could really lead to a uh, – I don't know. I think it could lead to some uh, some emotional, uh, tough situations 
because these guys are already like them or not. I mean, you got to live with officials. And I sure. happen to believe that they do the best they can. They're humans. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's like the, the it's like, um, you know, uh, let me, it's, it's like the guy from the Packers in the playoff in the game against the Lions who, uh, who pushed the, uh, the, the trainer that came in to, to help out a Lions right. player. Yep. I mean, he's a good guy. He's a rookie. He got tossed. He hurt his team. I mean, he didn't, he didn't mean to, to do it. Uh, he, he reacted emotionally uh, in the heat of, of the moment. And, um, and, you know, and he was tossed in the ball game and, and he, and he hurt his team by not being there to help play for them the rest of the way. Um, sure. My point is, you know, if players make mistakes, they drop passes, they fumble mm -hmm. at the goal line. Uh, and that's part of the game. And the game is so fast. There's so many rules. Officials have to make split second decisions. They get most of them right. They, 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 they do get most of them right. Um, it's the ones they don't get right. Of course, that you remember the longest and that raise the ire of everybody. Uh, I just don't know that questioning them about it and grilling them about it with the media would, would solve anything other than make uh, fans and, um, you know, everybody else, uh, you know, more critical towards them. Just if, if it's a, if it's a key play, I mean, from the, from the Kansas city Cincinnati game, right, there's no debate, mm -hmm. right. That the, the personal foul there at the end that led to the mm -hmm. field goal, that was a good call, right? He was out of bounds. Sure. Oh, absolutely. Him, right? Two feet out of bounds. Yeah. So, so there was no question there. So where was there the, the big question? Was it on the, it the was third, third down? down. Yeah. yeah, go ahead. That, that would have been a situation where the, the head referee, if he could have come into the press conference afterwards and says, here's what happened. And you explain it. Maybe you don't like the answer, especially if you're Cincinnati. You certainly don't like the answer that you're getting, but at least you would get an answer. And I would say the same thing about Anthony Jordan, who was the crew chief, I think, on Saturday down in Athens. If he came in and was asked, all right, what was the reason that Georgia was able to get to the foul line so many times in the second half, whereas South Carolina? What if he just simply said, what if he just simply said, because the other team fouled more? Uh, yeah. Would you point. accept that as an answer? If probably he said, not. What, probably not. But then, what, just, then, then what goods, what goods questioning him then? Well, if people no, aren't no. going to accept the answer, all you're doing is raising the temperature again. Well, here's the issue I just have with it. Official officials, in my opinion, and you're right, they do a very, very hard job, and it's a job that I would not want to have. Mm -hmm. And it's easy for me to sit behind the microphone or be a fan and get upset at the job they do or applaud the job they do if it goes the way my team. But the problem is that I have about this, and I've always had about this, is coaches are not allowed to question officials like they're, you know, some sort of deity. And how dare you challenge them? Or they'll get fined by the SEC or the ACC or whatever conference. But then on the flip side, officials, again, in, in my opinion, mm -hmm. have no no accountability to come back in and explain why they may. If, if, if Lamont Paris wanted to question that last play, he probably can't. But there ought to be some balance in there where the officials have to come and explain it if you're not allowing the coaches to complain about it. You see my point? Yeah, I mean, again, I think that um, I think you 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 have to protect officials. And I think you have to protect officials from coaches and players uh, accusations. Um, be, if, if a single official is is singled out, let's say, by a coaching staff, by a coach or, or by a team, mm -hmm. whatever. I mean, next time that official makes an appearance in that arena, I mean, no telling how the fans would react to him. You know how fans are. Uh, they single out an official. Those who are educated and follow the team and follow their sport closely, 
They know these guys by name. They know where they mm -hmm. work. They know where they live. I mean, most of these guys, especially on the college level, right, they have other jobs. I think in the professional ranks, they also have other jobs. They don't – officiating is not their full-time gig. I just think that officials have to be uh, protected. Bad officials have to be fired, and there should be a very strict grading scale. And if you're not a good official, you should be, you should be fired, um, and somebody else put it in your place. But I, I think exposing them to – that kind of direct scrutiny after a ball game would not serve much of a purpose, to be honest with well, you. Here's, here's the other issue I have, and it only affects college basketball because it does not affect uh, college football because they don't work numerous games. But you're, you're talking about officials that may have on Saturday. That may be their fourth game of the week. Some of them work, you know, three mm -hmm. or four games in a week yeah. and work different conferences in the whole nine yards. So, I mean, they're traveling around the country, and you, you begin to wonder if fatigue actually starts to play in on them. I just, I just have a problem. And it just the South Carolina, Georgia, a couple of games this past week sort of stick out in my mind that I've seen South Carolina, Georgia being one of them, 23, 29 versus, you know, nine and 14 at the foul line. It just that discrepancy. I, I have a hard time understanding much like when Coastal played at James Madison back on Thursday. And it was 33 free throw attempts for James Madison and only six for uh, for Coastal no, in a but, six point but, game. But let me and ask again, you just a quick question, team. but a quick question, a quick question. Mm -hmm. Now, that can be influenced by. The way the game is played, and I didn't see that game. I saw the South Carolina-Georgia game. Um, if you've got one team that's settling for a lot of threes, not driving, not attacking the basket, they're not going to get fouls. Right. Um, I don't know about your game. I'm, you know, Georgia, no, 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 I get it. Yeah, so, but, I, mean, I mean, the way the game is being played can certainly have an impact on the number of fouls that are called. South Carolina in the Georgia game, let me see here, the, uh, the Gamecocks attempted 31 three-pointers, mm -hmm. and Georgia attempted 15. So the Gamecocks lived outside. They didn't really attack. Uh, Georgia was more inside-oriented, uh, didn't settle for the outside three, drove the lane more. Maybe, I'm just saying, maybe that's why they drew uh, uh, 21 fouls. And the Gamecocks, I'm sorry, drew, um, uh, they drew, um, let's see, they were called for 12 and the Gamecocks called for 21. That's right. Mm -hmm. So maybe that's, that could be part of the reason when there's a discrepancy in a in a basketball game about the foul situation. It's the way one team plays the game versus the other. Fair. That is a fair point. But you were there. So South Carolina, the entire second half, never tried to drive in the lane. Never attacked the basket. Never got a rebound inside. It's, it's not, sort of my I'm not point. I'm say never. I'm not, I'm, I'm not going to say never, but the Gamecocks lived on the perimeter mm -hmm. a good bit. Yeah. And, I mean, and, I mean that's part of their, their DNA. 31 of their 68 shots, one-third mm -hmm. of their shots came beyond the arc. Sure. I, I get it. Mm -hmm. But, again, hard to hard to even in that regard to see one team, especially in the second half, the game appeared to change in terms of the fouls that were being called. Because if I'm not mistaken, what, there were eight total team fouls called in the, yeah, first, the first half? Yeah, the first half was very calm, very calm mm -hmm. both ways, yeah. and uh, So what changed? That, uh, well, uh, one thing that did change was, well, in the way the game was played, Georgia turned up its defensive pressure. And I know what you're going to say. Well, there you go. Georgia should be mm -hmm. called for more fouls. They were, <laughs> exactly. they were putting more pressure. Uh, maybe they didn't foul. Maybe they were clean. You know, maybe they played Perhaps. good basketball. Pat, you know how we'd fix all this, Phil? How's that? Had Anthony Jordan come into the press conference and answered these questions well, that what, we were posing. Well, I think he's going to say, yeah, okay, sir, uh, you know, why did y'all call more fouls on uh, – well, the way some people would put it, why would you call more fouls on our team versus the other team? <laughs> um, I mean, what's he supposed to say? Well, we wanted Georgia to win. I mean, wh what do you expect an official to say after a game? I just, I just think knowing <laughs> that they – I mean, they're already – 
a situation where they don't call things as closely as they probably would because they've got the eye in the sky to rely on. And I think if you add some credibility back to them and make them come in to every, you don't have to bring them in every time. I mean, there was really no reason to bring them in, say, down at Florida State in the Clemson, Florida State game. But if there are controversies that come out that the coaches bring up, I think the lead officials should be available to answer the same questions that the coaches can't answer. That's that's my only issue with this. Pat, I mean, Lamar Paris should have been able to come out and just lambast the officials, say they cheated my team. I wanted to get a technical, well, you, but the game was too close. You'd love to have coaches be able to stay, say, but I'm telling you, it's counterproductive. I mean, you can't have a coach come out and say they cheated my team. Not unless, I mean, you know, you just can't have that. There's got to be some level of decorum, and there's got to be some restraint on the side of of the coaches, or you'll have you'll have anarchy. At, at games when the crew comes in, if, if he calls out a crew and that crew comes and works a South Carolina game and there's enough fans who are paying attention, who care. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're talking about, you're talking about uh, uh, setting up a, a scenario that could be, well, I mean, they could be loud and boisterous and, and, and sure. boo louder. I, I get that, but I just, you, you gotta have, they, they are the authority of the games. Okay. They're the authority, just like with the major league umpires, they run mm-hmm. the games. Yeah, you can go out and argue with them. You can't touch them. You can't yeah, threaten I'm not, them. I'm not, when you start I'm not advocating well, physical when, violence, but that's what you. That, that's when you start ripping them in the media and you start uh, heavily criticize them. Um, decorum breaks down. Um, the authority level breaks down. I just don't think it's a good thing. I don't see how it can be a good thing. My question would be: How can you ever expect change if there's no fear of discipline or accountability? Thank you. Uh, if these referees have no fear of repercussions for bad performances, what incentive they can do be they fired? have to get better? Can't they be fired if they're not good, if have they don't they, grade out? Have they been? I would say there's been firings of referees, absolutely. Well, I don't know. The average NFL ref is 51. The average N- uh, NBA referee is 53. I, I, I'm, I'm 37, and I feel like I've seen the exact same referees in professional sports since I was a little kid. Well, there's uh, a lot of referees, and, and it turns over every year. You can't tell me they don't fire uh, referees in all level of sports who do a bad job. I just, you know. uh, They have to be fired for very distinct reasons, and a lot of that is they also have their collective bargaining agreements like the players do, and there's Mm -hmm. certain rules uh, about whether they could be fired or not. But you are right. Uh, One one thing I'd like to point out is, is, is it reasonable to assume when we're talking about any athletic team, Carolina, Clemson, Coastal, whatever, say basketball, a, a team a brand new team each year tends to get better the longer they play together, right? Once they start to get that mm-hmm. cohesion as a unit. Is that fair? Oh, absolutely. So where I'm going with this is the in the NFL playoffs specifically, they use what are called all-star teams for their referees. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and they get points that they accrue throughout the season. Well, typically these guys are on the same crews for most of the most of the season. So they have cohesive units. They know how each other are going to interact on certain plays with certain calls and so forth. Well, yesterday, the eight officials in the AFC championship came from seven different officiating crews, and the eight referees in the NFC game came from four different crews. Not a single member of either crew had ever called a game with any other member of that crew prior to yesterday in these two games. So how can we expect them to have any cohesion between them and be able to work as a unit as referees if they've never even worked together before? Uh, that that's one question I would have. And that, that seems like a very easy, easy, easily changed part of refereeing that the NFL could do. They could try to have units 
representing themselves throughout the year and then again in the playoffs to, to try to get rid of some of these problems. The reason I brought up the age, and I certainly don't mean to say we need to go with ageism or anything like that, but the reason I bring up age is one specific specific, specific example. <laughs> Sorry, Monday is a heck of a day. Uh, when Sam Hubbard, the Bengals defensive end, who's 6'5", 275 pounds, by the way, so not exactly a spry chicken, when he had that 98-yard touchdown return against the Ravens in the first round of the playoffs, there was not a referee within 45 yards of him. They were way, way, way behind him. They can't keep up with these guys. Would it not be reasonable to have referees that are in as good a shape and physical condition as the players if we expect them to run up and down the court for 48 minutes in a basketball game and 60 minutes of an NFL football game? Shouldn't they be able to keep up with these guys? Wouldn't that help them maybe able to maybe be able to see the plays a little more clearly? And well, Phil, here's I where I would jump in. Well, let me just point this, let me point this out real quick. Um, don't disagree. Again, that goes back to if you're not able to do the job, then you should be removed. I found a story here from the 2018 NFL season, October, where the NFL, for the first time in the Super Bowl era, fired a referee in the middle of the season, Hugo Cruz, a down judge, for performance-related reasons, according to Football Zebras. This includes, but is not limited to, the missed false start against a, a player during the week six game between the Chargers and the Browns, a play that resulted in a touchdown in a Chargers uh, blowout win. Most referees just get suspended during the season when the league rate, uh, reaches the breaking point. So it's a bit surprising that Cruz got the ax during the season, as football zebras noted. Mm -hmm. And uh, Cruz's miss of that false start would not get him fired by itself. So my point is they do fire. It doesn't happen often, but when it gets bad enough or you have a string of bad calls long enough for them to make a move, apparently there's precedent that they will do it. Now go ahead. I was going to say to, to follow up to uh, Pat's point and actually decide with your argument here, the one issue that should we have officials that can keep up with 25-year-old kids who are getting bigger, faster, stronger, the problem is the officials, and I would bet the high school league would back me up on this, is having a, a difficult time attracting people Pat's age and younger to do that job. And part of the problem is, Phil, and I think uh, to your argument about maybe not bringing them in for post-game commentary, is the fact that we've gotten so harsh with fans and, and so social media and media criticism. Who wants to do that job? I know, mm -hmm. I know I don't want to do that job. I'm glad somebody does it. I wish they would do it better, but that's, you know, they can turn around and say, well, I wish you'd broadcast games better and they'd be right. <laughs> so I wish you'd be better on sports talk. They would be right. So I, mean, I wouldn't want somebody criticizing what I do the way I am here with the officials. I just, the only thing, I just wish there were more public accountability with officials. That's yeah. the only thing I'm asking for. And I just use the games this weekend as examples. You can go through and cherry pick anything you want to make your argument valid. Your point is certainly valid. I just wish there were some more public accountability of officials. That's all I'm asking for. One more thing on that Georgia USC game. Georgia scored 40 points in the paint mm -hmm. to the Gamecocks uh, 28. So yeah, Georgia did attack the rim more. They did no get into the lane more. Maybe that's why they drew more fouls. Maybe not. Maybe the officials wanted Georgia to win. Maybe they're all Georgia fans. Maybe they uh, live in Athens and uh, they go to dinner with uh, Kirby Smart and uh, they like Mike White more than they like Lamont Paris. There's all kinds of reasons. I just don't think you're going to get straight answers on controversial calls. Uh, I think um, I think in a in a high profile situation 
where there's an obvious blown call that everybody saw issuing a statement, which I think the leagues have done, like the NBA. They issued a statement after the Lakers-Celtics game the other night that they blew the call, that that was a foul on LeBron, that the Celtics hit his arm. He should have gone the line. Nothing they can do about it. And, you know, I don't think it would have done any good to bring in whichever official who was standing on the baseline who didn't make the call. And you say, why didn't you make that call? What's he supposed to say? I missed it. Well, obviously he missed it. Or yeah. I wanted the Celtics to win because I'm good friends with the <laughs> cousin of Red Auerbach. I mean, I don't know what you expect him to say when you put him in that kind of situation. So that's why I think it'd be uh, fruitless to to bring him in and, and dress him down that way. Okay, uh, Clemson's picked up a couple of football commitments since we last talked. We'll mention that. Uh, I talked to um, Nick Harbour's dad a little while ago. I'll tell you what he had to say. Got a complete recruiting report coming up, too. We'll be back. Going to get to your calls in just a second. Just a second. Phone number 888-898-2525. South Carolina Education Lottery. Lucky number to sports talk. And since 2002, more than $999 million in lottery proceeds have been used to support K-12 through programs in South Carolina. Learn more about the lottery's impact at sceducationlottery.com slash educationwins. Playing for fun is a win for education. So a couple of things I need to mention here off the top. Uh, Clemson picked up a pair of commitments from their junior day thus far. Others may be following defensive tackle Champ Thompson. And uh, today, safety Noah Dixon. We'll talk more about them just a little bit. Tell you what else is going on. Tell you more about uh, Nick Harbour from talking to his dad this afternoon just to give you a little bit of something. Now, tonight could be the night they make the decision. They got back so late from Oregon. Uh, from their trip over the weekend, didn't get home to about 1.30 this morning. Everybody had to get up and get going early in the morning for work and school, and uh, they will uh, discuss things tonight as a family. May have their decision rendered sometime tonight. Don't know who it's going to be. Everybody's still in it. I uh, see things on various message boards and people trying to have reasons why he's going to go here, reasons why he's going to go there. Uh, he does not have a girlfriend who is on the USC track team. He has a friend who he met at a track event in North Carolina who runs track for South Carolina, according to his dad. But it's not his girlfriend. It's just a female uh, a, a track uh, performer that, like, he's a track performer. And they're friends mm -hmm. through the track. Now, you know, could a romance start at some point in time? I'm not saying. But people who are saying he's got a girlfriend who runs track for South Carolina. Dad says, no, it's not girlfriend. It's just somebody he met at a, at a track event. Um, and let's see what else I want to tell you real quick here before we get to phone calls. Um, a lot of stuff going on. Um, let's see what's most important here real quick. I don't want to mention, uh, we'll talk about this. We'll talk about that. Uh, some interesting, interesting stuff going on in Charleston with the high schools, uh, Scott Iceberg reported that Dr. Jerry Brown uh, told him he never received a letter of termination after his meeting two weeks ago with Berkeley. He says he's continuing to go to school as a teacher and head football coach preparing for 2023 until told differently. And he quoted him as saying, 
The kids need me. Now, Mark Morgan, another of the uh, TV uh, broadcasters down there, WCBD-TV, he got a note from uh, Jerry Brown, an update this afternoon, who said, quote, which said, quote, I've just received follow-up from school admin as they intended last week. Best, I do not comment further. Messages left for the school district district have not been returned, uh, he, he reported. Also, Mark had a story here as well on Steve LaPrade and uh, the, the possibility that Steve LaPrade, who previously was at uh, Fort Dorchester, uh, could be back coaching in the low country. Uh, Steve LaPrade could come back. It says uh, in this story, may return soon to the sideline. Again, this is from Mark Morgan. Uh, Fort Dorchester coach Steve LaPrade tells news to Mark Morgan. He's mulling several offers, may be back on the sideline soon. And um, that's all I see in this story. So apparently there are some opportunities for Steve LaPrade. Wow. So he wasn't ready. He wasn't retiring in, entirely from um, from high school coaching. Looks like he's looking to get back on, on the sideline. Uh, Rankings this week, rankings this week uh, in the uh, AP poll, Clemson uh, moves up in the poll this week. Tigers climbed to number 20 uh, after their win at Florida State after uh, losing that game earlier in the week. So they, they climbed to number 20. And uh, College of Charleston losers to Hofstra drop out of the top 20. Heck of a game between Charleston and Hofstra in Charleston. On Saturday, could have gone either way. Hofstra got got hot late in that game and uh, hit some shots down the stretch. Won that thing on the road. That's a good win for them. And let me correct myself. Clemson did not lose earlier this week. They beat Georgia Tech. Yeah. They beat Florida State. They beat Virginia Tech. Their last loss was at Wake Forest. So three straight wins. The Tigers have moved up to number 20. They go to Boston College tomorrow night. So the college drops out after just one loss. I, I realize they've got two this season, but the other one came so early in the year to North Carolina. Yeah, they had you a 20-game winning streak. That's not a top 25 team. Problem is they don't play in a top 25-type league. They don't. Uh, no one gets any respect out of the Colonial, and that's a shame because that's a pretty good basketball league, and the college is a very good basketball team. Yeah, but it's still a one-bid league, right? Yeah, and I, uh, it, that'll be interesting, Phil. If Let's assume for a moment – Hofstra, just pick another team, wins the, the conference tournament, and college finishes with, say, just three losses. I, I don't know how the committee leaves them out, but stranger things have happened just as uh, Wofford baseball. True, true that. All right, let's get to the phone calls. We appreciate the uh, the calls, uh, and we got a lot of recruiting to get to. Uh, Bill DeAndre, oh, I need to mention, let me do this real quick because it's not, I'm not doing my job, not doing my job. I do want to congratulate the folks who were selected to the uh, South Carolina Athletic Hall of Fame. And Bill DeAndre will join us a little bit after 7 o'clock, the president of the Hall of Fame. But your new inductees will be Mark Burson, USC soccer coach, Robert Brooks, former USC receiver, Woody Danzler, former Clemson quarterback, Don Ellerby, former track star at USC. She uh, was a thrower, a great one at South Carolina, four-time NCAA champion. Joe Hamilton, former... Um, uh, Georgia Tech quarterback, uh, Macedonia High School. Uh, Jermaine O'Neal, the former NBA star, played at Eau Claire. No college for him. Larry Penley, former Clemson golf coach. And Charles Chino Smith, who went to Benedict, played six seasons 
in the Negro Leagues hit 423, oh the best wow. in league history. <laughs> and he played against some of the greatest players ever, Josh Gibson, Satchel Paige. Um, he he played a couple of decades before Jackie Robinson broke the, uh, the color line. We'll find out more about all these folks and more about the Hall of Fame's upcoming ceremonies in May to induct them. Okay, it's been a busy day, as you can tell. So, with that said, we go to Robbie and Florence, get some calls in. Robbie, welcome to Sports Talk. How are you? What's up, Phil? Doing great, sir. How are I you? Just, uh, I'm good. I um I love the show, first of all. I learn a lot on the show. And uh, just a couple observations and then a question. Uh, I played uh, high school basketball back in the day for West Lawrence. The first year we had a uh, it just was open. Didn't even have a football team. Hmm. So, but my question is, as I watch basketball now, college and of course pro, we used to get calls for traveling or palming the ball, and nowadays they just almost let it rotate in their hand and nothing's called. And I don't understand that. You know. Uh, let's let Mr. Bergen, he sees a lot more basketball right up close. When I see basketball, I'm up, you know, they got the media row upstairs, but you're sitting on the court, so you get a better look right. at that than I do. So what What do you think of that comment? They see spot on. Uh, well, I, I don't know. I just, uh, well, I'm watching it on TV, you know, and it just shows, uh, especially the guards, uh, just absolutely letting the ball just go in the palm of their hand, which we would call for palming or traveling. So, And I don't understand that. So, Chris, you want to tackle and, that? Uh, let, let Chris answer your question. Hang on. Chris, go ahead. Well, Robbie, Robbie's sure. spot on, and the game has changed over the years, and they've sort of allowed things, and, and I don't want to say lazy, but there are certain things that they've just let evolve over the years, and carrying the basketball is an obvious one. Now, if they dribble it over the top of their head, they would usually call it, but otherwise I'm not sure guards anymore in basketball field can actually dribble directly on the top of the ball anymore. They've got to dribble it on the side to protect the basketball. So they've allowed that to change over the years. And, and Robbie's right, that and traveling, yeah, especially at the NBA level, you can get away with almost three full steps before they'll blow the whistle dead. So, yeah, the game has certainly evolved. I don't know if always to the better. I will say this. I think in terms of possessing the basketball, being able to dribble it on the side is not necessarily the worst thing. You got that, Robbie? Yes, sir. Okay. Uh yeah, one one more thing. Mm -hmm. uh, as far as basketball goes, uh, free throws. There's so many, especially big men, that have a problem with free throws, and you're getting a free shot from 15 feet, and they brick it. Mm. You know? I, I don't so. think, yeah, and thanks for your phone call. I can answer that one. I don't think kids spend a lot of time working on free throws anymore. They're living outside the line. That's where the game has moved mm -hmm. out there oh, yeah. past 23, 24 feet. And, I mean, it's, it's uh, you know, shooting free throws is definitely a, a lost art. And if you have a team that happens to shoot free throws well, you, you've got a bonus. That's a big plus for you. But I think everything is, you know, worked on outside the, the line, outside the three-point line. That's where they spend most of their time. Don't know why you can't spend some time shooting free throws mm -hmm. they are critical they become very important late in ball games of course well i think i think phil i bet you if you ask brad brownell what's been one of the keys to his success 
this season and after he gets through older guys in the system and that, that type of having P.J. Hall, who could be player of the year in the ACC, outside of that, he's probably going to point to free throw shooting. Part of the reason they've won, what, three games this year in the ACC by a point? Uh-huh. They're six nationally in free throw shooting. That has been a major, major deal for them. Part of the reason they beat Florida State. They were really good at the line on Saturday, and they have been throughout this year. And Villanova, as bad as they are, that's a team that shoots over 80% from the line. Now, back to the big men, I think a lot of that has to do with their hands. Their hands are so big. Uh, imagine thinking back when you go out outside or down in your basement, you had a Nerf hoop and how small the Nerf ball was in, in our hands field. Now, imagine translating that to basketball. I think that's part of the reason big guys have struggles at the free throw line Yeah, because their hands are so big, it's tough for them to shoot and put touch on the ball. Yeah, I mean, look, Larry Bird, if I may cite, of course, That's okay. my Great alter example. ego, mm-hmm. uh, has huge hands. You look at him grip a basketball, I mean, his hands are covering uh, two-thirds of the leather, but he was a great free-throw shooter. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he was a unique fellow in that he was, what, 6'9", but he had skills of a small guy. Uh, but well, I hear what you're saying. You know, the typical big guy's got the big hands. He doesn't have the shooting motion that a that a guard would have. So he would struggle at the foul line. I would get that. Ark as and well. Let's remember Shaq. Shaq used to joke for years <laughs> about how it felt like he was having to throw a projectile like straight at the hoop. Because when he had, when, when a seven-footer is holding the ball up above his head, he's closer to eight feet, the ball. And so then you're trying to throw it at a 10-foot elevation. That's that's a lot tougher than who, a six-footer. Who, who was the big guy who used to stand two feet behind the line? Oh, um, Superman. What was his name? Dwight Howard, he would stand yeah. like two feet behind the line, right, to try to <laughs> get the ball. Uh, by the way, I found a story here on CBSSports.com from yesterday's game between the Chiefs and the, the Bengals, a controversial call, the do-over play, and they actually have a pool report from the referee in the game. Ron Torbert issued a pool report uh, explaining what happened on that play. He explained it clearly. Basically, mm-hmm. the clock, it was an incomplete pass. The clock continued to run when it shouldn't have. They were lining up to run the next play. The official from behind the play whistled to stop the play. It was too loud. They couldn't hear it on the field. The play was snapped, um, and it was a dead play anyway. So whatever happened was not going to happen. And so people thought that they were getting some kind of a replay on it. But, no, he, he had blown the play dead because the clock hadn't stopped. They had to reset the clock. And they had to uh, start over again. So he explained that in a uh, pool report that was, uh, I guess, distributed to the media after the game. That's how like you handle that. those kind yeah, of situations. I like that. And in like these high-profile games, when you have something like that, there's absolutely they do that in the World Series, and they mm-hmm. do that in the in the playoffs. If there's a controversial play, they get a, a pool reporter to go in there and uh, and either talk to the official or they issue a report to be handed out. Okay, quickly. Uh, we got to go back to the phones. Thank you for your phone call uh, there, Robbie. We appreciate it. Let's go to Lee in Greenwood. Lee Greenwood. Hey, welcome to Sports Talk. Bill. Good to hear from you, man. How are you? Better than I deserve to be, my brother. I heard, than I, deserve to be. I heard you. I heard you. Look at how. I agree with Chris on some of the things about the efficient eight, but it took the ACC in college football 20 years to get Ron Cherry out. He was horrible. I mean, he was horrible. He couldn't call a cemetery. I mean, he was pathetic. <laughs> he, he couldn't call then, a cemetery. No. I'll tell you right now, he couldn't officiate a cemetery basketball game. He Ooh. was pitiful. But uh, getting back to basketball and officiate, 
I seen Duke when Shashesky was there. You could breathe on one of them cats, and they fall down the whistle. Whoop! You know, that's that's terrible. Well, I'm listen, I I, I I listen. I've had a lot of fun over the years here about ACC officiating back in the days of Whoop. Dean Smith and Shashesky, and on and on with North Carolina and Duke, especially when Clemson had to play them especially up there. And uh, one time I, I went to the trouble. This was a few years ago. I uh, went through all the record books and I added up in the history of North Carolina versus Clemson basketball, the number of free throws North Carolina had shot compared to the number of free throws Clemson had shot in their games. And I mean, it was terribly lopsided. Now, part of that was because Clemson was losing 98% of the time to North Carolina and they were fouling late to try to get the ball back. Some of that was that. But a lot of it, too, was just the fact that um, North Carolina got a lot more whistles against uh, Clemson and everybody else, so it seemed, up on Tobacco Road. So, yeah, there was always that conspiracy theory from outsiders about ACC basketball officials. But that's what kind of made it fun. Do I think they were on the take and trying to help them out and all that kind of stuff? I really don't want to believe that. I really don't. I, don't I mean, if you that. believe that, then, I mean, what's the use of having a league? What's the use of playing the games if that's true? I don't want to believe that. No, I don't believe any officials on the take. But I do believe officials need to try to be consistent. And that's what I don't see. You know, in baseball, you don't like the strikes on, but it's consistent, right? Mm-hmm. You can deal with that. But you can't deal with one that one way is one way. The next time the other team's at, it's the other way. That That's just jihad. That's lazy officiating. And I have officiated. I have officiated baseball, football, and basketball. And I'm going to tell you, that basketball is something. Well, but, I, I think you, know, you could get a call in basketball on every trip down the floor. Of course, in football. Correct. You could get a flag on every snap. Now, who wants to pay and, and watch that? You know, I mean, and you I do. Agree. I agree with you. The consistency thing, and 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 they got to be consistent early and and stick with it throughout a ball game. It's like officials calling a football game. I mean, if you're going to call it tight, then call it tight from the first snap and let the players know we're calling this tight today. I mean, you really shouldn't have a theme. It shouldn't be we're calling it tight today. We're calling it loose tomorrow. No. There should be one way to call it, and you shouldn't be calling a foul or a flag or a penalty uh, if you don't see one. If there's nothing there, don't call it. And if you see it, call it. And uh, we're all amazed at how something happens and it doesn't get called. Look, I'm the world's biggest Celtics fan. I couldn't be happier with how that game turned out the other night. But uh, he was fouled. I'll give it to you. He was clearly fouled. Should have gone to the line. Maybe he'd have missed them both. And things would have still turned out the same way. Um, Probably not, but they blew it. He missed it. How the officials standing right there could not see that call that is beyond me, you know. And to add insult to injury for the Lakers, Patrick Beverly, did you see what he did? No, sir. He walks up to the official during the timeout before overtime with a camera, with a photographer's camera, and hands it to the – starts to hand it to the official to say, look, here's the picture. Of course, they teed him up. They teed him up, and the Celtics got, what, two free throws, I think, to start overtime? So uh, yeah. that's just, hey, we got a run. Great hearing from you. 
Keep in touch. And you take care. Hey, you too. Tell, tell yep. Tiger Brian I want some fish. Tell Tiger Brian you want some fish, okay? Any particular yeah, kind, spots? Or... My... If he's going to be down here on my lake, getting my, getting my fish, I need me some fish. You want, you want, what do you want? You want Spider's some smallmouth bass, largemouth bass? <laughs> I imagine that Tiger, I Tiger Brian only ca catches things with a large mouth, largemouth bass. Look here, I grew up on the little PD River. I'd eat anything. <laughs> okay, my man, thank you very much. Appreciate your phone call. We'll pass that on to Tiger Brian when he uh, when he pops in. We got to hit the break. We're running way behind on everything tonight. We'll catch back up on the other side. More of your phone calls. Bill DeAndre at seven oh five. I think uh, Attorney Jim Corbett's going to jump in about seven forty five. Tell us what's been happening at the Murdoch trial over the last couple of days. We'll have recruiting for you as well. It's a busy, busy Monday here on Sports Talk. Back in just a moment. George Bryant here with Tsunami Bar Sports, and wow, Tsunami Robbie, there is now an amazing technology that you can use when you train, receiving large gain without having to endure pain. Please explain. George, that is the magic combination. I have three simple words to define that entire concept. Stimulation, not annihilation. Regardless of your training goals, there is a level of stimulation that is optimal for your desired gains. Tsunami Bar's flexible bar technology meets these demands because the user determines the level of stimulation with the amount of speed and force they impart into the bar or training device. Hey, this is Phil Kornblut. The Tsunami Bar is a terrific training device whether you're working on your fitness or your golf game. It's convenient, it's easy to use, and you won't feel beat up afterwards. Be sure to click on the digital ad on sportstalksc.com and get 5% off any order using promo code BBB5. Don't wait. Order today. Major Downer here from the South Carolina Department of Natural Resources. Boating season is just around the corner. To make sure that your boat is ready, check your registration sticker and ensure it's current. Find your registration card, make sure your life jackets are in good shape, and check your fire extinguisher as well. For more information on boating or boat tiling questions, visit dnr.sc.gov backslash boating. Hi, I'm Jim Corbett. I've been an attorney for more than 30 years. There's one thing I've learned about injury cases. It's you need the personal touch. You need the lawyer to get to know you and describe your damages. You don't want a case manager talking to an insurance company and then talking to you and then talking to maybe to a lawyer with limited experience at the last minute to try to settle a case. I talk to you. I find out what your case is about. Jim at JimCorbettAttorney.com. Jim at JimCorbettAttorney.com for your injury cases. Founders Federal Credit Union knows your life is busy and your money is important. We are proud to offer local personalized services and convenient online services like Founders Online and the Founders app. You'll love being with us as much as we love serving you. Visit RelaxJoinFounders.com or one of our 37 convenient locations to see if you qualify for membership with Founders. Relax. Win with Founders. Terms and conditions apply. Founders Federal Credit Union is federally insured by NCUA. Thank you. Thank you for world-traveling rocket scientists. For tires bigger than your grandma's house. For 3D printing research. For artists in residency. Thank you for all the things that take us to the next level. Thank you for playing the lottery. For funding scholarships. For funding grants. For funding innovation in this state. Thank you. The South Carolina Education Lottery. When you play, 
we all win. Let's see if we can squeeze in another quick call before the top of the hour break. We have Hank in Columbia with us next. Hello, Hank. How are you? Hey, Corn. I'm doing all right. Good. You know, um, I, I kind of agree a little bit with uh, uh, Chris that uh, there. I mean, if you had, if you just assign a, a couple of reporters and and those questions are submitted beforehand. Then you could have officials come and explain certain things. Like it wouldn't be like baseball where you're having to explain and call strikes or balls and stuff like that. Because, like you said, we get crazy. But the biggest, the worst egregious call in that game was when the guy Carolina was still up to with about a minute or so, and the guy knocked the ball off of Georgia. It hit him squarely in the stomach and went out of bounds. And it wasn't that so bad that they missed the call, but it was the fact that when they missed it. Both Carolina players did the hand signal. They go check the monsters. So did Paris. Mm-hmm. And they refused to do it. Yeah, and I do remember did, seeing that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And there was a show where they, they talked to Dennis Keith, Dennis O'Keefe, who does the clock. And he said he had no idea why they didn't review that because it was under two minutes. So it should have been automatically when the coaches were asking for that review to be reviewed. And they didn't. And if Carolina had gotten the ball back, they had a chance to run a lot more time off that clock. Yeah. that's I remember that play. You're exactly right. I remember them asking for the replay. I, I don't know why you don't get a replay. What the rules? Is there a rule that says you can't get a replay? Chris, you can probably address that, having been around it. But we got to hit the break. Uh, we'll get back on that topic when we come back after the break and after we have a visit from Bill DeAndre from the Hall of Fame. Plus, recruiting is coming up in our next hour. Don't go away. Welcome back to Sports Talk on the Sports Talk Media Network. You can reach the guys with the South Carolina Education Lottery lucky number, 888-898-2525. That's 888-898-2525. Now back to Phil, Chris, and Pat with the second hour of Sports Talk on the Sports Talk Media Network. Okay, back we are, Sports Talk, Sports Talk Media Network. Busy Monday, a lot of stuff to uh, cover. Our phone number, 888-898-2525. And uh, we'll get back to your phone calls in just a little bit. Right now, though, one of the big news stories of the day here in South Carolina, the announcement by the South Carolina Athletic Hall of Fame of the new folks who will be inducted into the Hall of Fame in May, May 15th, in Columbia. Just to recap those names once again, USC soccer coach Mark Burson, Robert Brooks, USC receiver, Woody Danzler, Clemson quarterback, Don Ellerby, USC NCAA champion track athlete. Joe Hamilton, Macedonia High School quarterback in Georgia Tech. Tremaine O'Neill, Eau Claire High School basketball star in the NBA. Larry Penley, Clemson golf coach. And Charles Chino Smith from Antioch, who went to Benedict, went on to play in the Negro Leagues for six seasons with a career batting average of 420. Three. What a class. And, you know, these names now, for me personally, uh, they hit closer and closer to home because not only did I cover these athletes in their high school career, their college careers, I I followed their recruiting back in high school. So that's how long I've been at it. Uh, Let's welcome in uh, somebody who's older than me, 
and wiser, Billy D, Bill DeAndre, the president of the uh, South Carolina Athletic Hall of Fame, to talk about this terrific class. Good evening, sir. How are you? I'm doing good, Bill. I appreciate you and Chris and what you do for um, South Carolina and the sports world. We love doing it. We appreciate you and everything you've done from your days as a assistant coach at Clemson through an administrator at Clemson uh, over at Anderson uh, University as the AD over there. Some people might not realize that. And now with the South Carolina Athletic Hall of Fame, you just can't let it go. I, I thought you'd retired years ago. <laughs> well, I enjoy staying busy. You do. You do. And the hall has done a great job with this class. And I've gone over the names a couple of times. What do you think overall about this group that's going to be honored in May? Well, we think this is an outstanding group of uh, individuals that uh, embody what good sports are about, high achievers, high character. They promote good sportsmanship. And uh, it's certainly a contribution to the cause of sports in South Carolina. And uh, these individuals promote the ideals and traditions that um, our South Carolina Athletic Hall of Fame um, uses as a mission. You know, there's certainly a lot of participants in sports, but it's critical that we're able to recognize those that have excelled with some of the highest achievements and statistics and contributions to sports. Yeah. When you sit down and try, I mean, I'm sure you have hundreds of nominations, hundreds of names and careers to review, and you got to narrow it down, narrow it down. I mean, how difficult is it to get it down to the number? And how do you decide how many you'll bring in in any given year? Well, you're right. We have quite a few people in the hopper. And everybody that we have in the hopper um, certainly qualifies to, to be a Hall of Famer. It's, it's just kind of separating um, those people to, to try to bring the, the better people to the top. And it, it, it's a challenge, believe me. Um, you know, we have a nominating committee hosted by Julian Gibbons. And, of course, Andy Solomon, uh, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention uh, the job that he has done as the executive director. And we have a, a lot of board members that really contribute uh, to this organization from the standpoint of making sure that, you know, we recognize deserving candidates uh, at, at this event. Uh, we we think it's so important, and you know sometimes it does get a little testy. <laughs> Some people have various opinions, but it, it's not an easy it's not an easy chore to to narrow it down and end the vote. Oh, I imagine you have some really uh, I'm not going to say heated discussions. I would say what passionate? Would you say that people are passionate about certain individuals and they want to make that argument for them and that and that passion? can can rev up a little bit as you go back and forth yeah it's passion it's an opinion um you know some of the people knew these uh individuals uh from high school on uh they know about their character they know about uh, uh the achievements they made as an institution and 
what their contributions were to sports. And um, so, you know, uh, people can, uh, they're just trying to be influential with their opinion uh, to ensure that we get the best outstanding candidates in, into this Hall of Fame. Now, of course, most of the folks uh, on the list are what you might want to say modern day era people. Uh, I mean, they played in the last uh, 20, 25 years at their respective school. They're people that most everybody probably has heard of if you followed sports in this state or from a coaching standpoint, Mark Burson and, and Larry Penley from a, a coaching standpoint. Tell us about Charles Chino Smith and how how his name came up and how you guys, you know, the, the committee, whoever does a selection there, uh, how you guys uh, decided that he was worthy of going in with this particular class? Well, you know, each year, as, as we narrow lists down uh, to voting in various categories, we have uh, the Clemson category, a South Carolina category, an at-large category, a female category, and a posthumously category. And his name has been on the list for several years. And he has gotten several votes over the years. He's accumulated several votes, maybe not enough to get in, but, um, you know, there were certain people that knew about him uh, when he, you know, when his reputation coming from Darlington County, there's people in Darlington County that were aware of his history and, um, you know, somebody that bats 434, hmm. uh, never lower than. 400 for six years uh even satchel page um said that he was one of the two best hitters that ever played in the negro league and the other one i think was judd wilson and uh in sports illustrated listed him as um one of the 50 greatest sports figures of the 20th century in south carolina so i mean he had incredible credentials and um so that's that's you know it. Usually, people's names surface if they didn't get in. They surface maybe the year before, and you know we we bring them back up again, and they might have been very close. And that's that's kind of how he got the votes. Bill DeAndrea, the South Carolina Athletic Hall of Fame, joining us here tonight on Sports Talk. The class of 2023, an impressive one at that. Will be enshrined later on this year. And Bill, you were talking about old and new guys sort of blending together. How also do you evaluate coaches like Mark Person, say for instance, Larry Penley, who are going into uh, this year's class versus players like say Woody Dancer or Robert Brooks? How do you differentiate them to make sure you've got the proper blend of coaches going in along with players every year? Or is that even the goal? Not, not necessarily. I mean, if you take um, Woody Dantzler, you know, he was the first quarterback in the NCAA history to throw for 2,000 yards and rush for over 1,000 yards in the same season. Um, you know, he established an ACC record. Um, he was the national back of the week in consecutive games in 2001. And... Um, just, you know, a two-time semifinalist for the O'Brien Award. What's interesting is Joe Hamilton, who's going in this class, is the 
uh, O'Brien Award winner for that year. <laughs> so uh, it, it's very competitive. And, of course, Joe was actually a finalist for the Heisman Trophy. And, um, you know, if you look at Mark Burson, to win 511 games in 43 seasons, I mean, that's incredible. Now, I know he was at the Citadel for a few years, um, but he's the second active NCAA Division One coach with with uh, a winning record. He's got a an NCAA championship, uh, two college cups, four national quarterfinals. Uh, he's been the uh, he's been eleven rounds of sixteen um, appearances in the final sixteen. Uh, so. Um, you know, he just did an incredible job of consistency, and the same for Larry. You know, Larry, um, he's uh, won an NCAA championship. He was the, the only coach in history of college golf to take a Division One program and win the conference, the NCAA regionals, and then win the championship and in the same year. So, um, and, you know, he he's coached two uh, Ben Hogan Award winners, um, you know, 38 years at Clemson and uh, 83 uh, wins. Um, you know, they're I mean, you talking you're talking about elite coaches and elite players. Bill DeAndre, final moments with him, May 15th, the date of the induction ceremonies there at the Columbia Convention Center. Do you guys still have room for tables to be purchased, tickets to be bought? What should people do? We do, um, we do, Phil. And if people will go to our website, it's the S-C-A-H-O-F, the South Carolina Athletic Hall of Fame. You can purchase tickets on that website. You can purchase a table. There's opportunity for sponsorships. Um, and, you know, it's a great event. It's the largest sporting event um, in, in the state as far as recognition goes under one roof in the, in the Palmetto State. And uh, we, we normally have 1,000 people at this event. And um, <clears throat> I think it's what's good for sports. Absolutely. And, uh, it's a, it's a fantastic event. The way you guys set it up, the band, the, the speeches, the whole deal. Coach Jeffrey's there with the flag. If you go too long, it's a, it, it's a great deal. Uh, okay. And of course, before we let you go, I know the audience around the state, certainly wondering, you know, kind of where I came in, in terms of, uh, my athletic career and, you know, the passion, that I'm sure somebody spoke on my behalf to try to get me in. Was it was it close again this year, or am I going to have to wait another uh, decade or two decades? I, I think you're going to probably have – I think Chris has a better chance of getting in than you do. <laughs> What'd he do? <laughs> What's he ever done? <laughs> well, he got more votes. <laughs> <laughs> he ever scored you, 10 <laughs> points in a basketball game at Aner like I have? How many people can say they've done that? Huh? Uh, well, you know, it's one, it's one of those achievements that sets you apart. <laughs> okay, Billy D, we thank you as always. 
and uh, have a great week. We'll see you up at Little John, I'm sure, for a basketball game in the future. Uh, congratulations to you and to uh, to Andy, uh, to to the entire crew there, for um, uh, to Tony, all you guys who work hard, whole crew for doing a great job on this. We look forward to working with you, uh, seeing you there on the 15th, if not sooner. Thank you, Phil. I appreciate what you do. Thank you, sir. Thanks, Bill. Uh-huh. Of course, Andy Bye-bye. is Andy Solomon, the executive director. Tony Shufo is the uh, former voice of the Cougars, who works with publicity PR for the Athletic Hall of Fame. Uh, it's kind of a new era for them, new group of folks, and they are doing a fantastic job. Uh, that's a heck of a to class. There. Oh, that's a great that's class. That's a heck of a class. I mean, it's a great class, no question about it. And we congratulate each and every one of the folks there. Okay. Uh, let's hit the break. Uh, we got to uh, get some things done. Hit the break. Uh, we'll come back, get to more calls. Got a few notes. We'll do recruiting uh, coming up at the bottom of the hour. So stay tuned. I'm, it's long. It's meaty. It's juicy. It's important. Signing day is just two days away. Of course, Clemson's not going to sign anybody for the 23 class. They've got all that done in December. And, you know, the Gamecocks got one out there they'd like to uh, reel in. And we'll talk about all that coming up here in just a few minutes. Stand by. Life. It has its ups and downs. Sometimes it's little things like hitting every red light or dropping your cell phone. Maybe it's the bills, rent, or pressure at work. But when it comes to the South Carolina education lottery, you should never feel like playing will solve everything. The lottery is a game. It's played for fun. So set a dollar amount. Expect not to win and make sure responsibilities, family, friends, and work come first. Visit PlayResponsiblySC.com. When your day calls for some winning, why not watch your favorite football team at Dave & Buster's? We've got massive HDTVs and hundreds of the hottest new games. Sit from our chef-crafted cocktail menu with exclusive drinks such as the strawberry watermelon margarita or dangerous waters. Cheer on the team with cantina nachos or wings featuring one of our 12 wings flavors. When your day calls for some winning, it's time for Dave & Buster's, where you can watch the games and play the games. Locations in Greenville, Columbia, and Myrtle Beach. Touchstone Energy Cooperative members save more, more on electricity, and members save more on insurance, groceries, healthcare, restaurants, travel, concerts, and sporting events through co-op connections. Touchstone Energy is an alliance of the member-owned electric cooperatives, and as a member, the power is yours. Experience the power of co-op membership with Touchstone Energy and find out how much you can save on electricity and a whole lot more at touchstoneenergy.com. again to Billy D for being with us tonight, talking about the Hall of Fame. Love having him on. Love talking about the Hall of Fame. Again, congratulations to the folks. And, of course, we'll be there when that time rolls around for that. Going to be an exciting time. Got the South Carolina Football Hall of Fame uh, process going on, too, and getting their class together. Looking forward to hearing uh, who that's going to be. A couple of comments on our stream tonight that I want to touch on. Uh, let's see. This would be uh, we got uh, John Edward Kruger 
saying that um, the officiating is horrible at all levels, high school, college, and professional. And he said um, Phil is uh, mostly making excuses for officials. No, Good I'm not. Good for you, Phil. I'm not making Good excuses. I'm just you saying they're people, too, and they have families, <laughs> and they have feelings. Um, and let's see what else we got here. We got uh, We got Eddie. Uh, walking also is allowed all the time. Yeah, I'm not going to disagree with that. And we got some news. Uh, the ACC, that's right. Tonight is the 30th. The ACC, in their wisdom, <laughs> the A- who programs the ACC network? My goodness. So the ACC network is doing an unveil of the ACC team's 2023 football schedules while at the same time, oh, yeah, there's an ACC basketball game taking place on another channel. Yeah, on ESPN with your highest-ranked team in Virginia. That, that, they couldn't have looked at the schedule and figured out, all right, you know, uh, Tuesday, February, uh, January 31st, we've got no games, men or women. Let's do the football release there. Let's not go against our own programming. <laughs> it just makes zero sense. It's crazy. But anyway, for some reason, the Atlantic Coast Conference has deemed it important enough for their football schedule to host a two-hour episode tonight. And they are just to – they started at 7. They're up to week 4 of the football season. That's when uh, Florida state will come to Clemson, by the way, September, the, uh, what is that? 23rd, I believe. And the uh, Tigers feel as we were sort of speculating, trying to figure out what their opening game would be. And it will be an ACC game. We knew that it will be at Duke on Labor Day to uh, open the season. So second straight year that Clemson will play on Labor Day. On the road. On the road. Yes, Even sir. Even though it was kind of a neutral site last year in Atlanta against Georgia Tech. So Clemson will open the season at Duke. Mm-hmm. on Labor Day weekend. That'll be a Saturday game. No, Labor Day, Monday night. Oh, they're going to do it. Oh, this yeah, is going to be Labor Day. Well, we talked about Clemson playing possibly on Labor Day night. So they're putting this game on Labor Day night yes. in, in Durham. In Durham. Kind of weird, huh? Wow. They really I, think I just Duke's like it because it's not, <laughs> not a neutral site game. Yeah, it's but they really think Duke's got yeah. something mm-hmm. uh, can, to challenge Clemson, huh? That's the best they could do. For Labor Day night, Duke and Clemson. <laughs> yep. There and, you go. Well, they're, they're probably hoping you know, they can save Clemson, Florida State. Because now remember, there are no more divisions. This is all just one through uh, what? One through 14. 15. Well, no, because Notre 14. Dame wouldn't qualify. Yeah, no Notre right? Dame. Yeah, one through 14. So they're probably hoping uh, Clemson, Florida State, they can save that for later in the year and make it some kind of a, a prime time deal. Okay, keep so an eye on that and let us know as more come out. Duke well, here's the rest of September way, last year, too. Yeah, they but were... it's Duke. Yeah, but still. <laughs> Duke. Duke. Uh, Saturday, September 9th, of course, we know they'll host Charleston Southern. Clemson will host Florida Atlantic on the 16th and then host Florida State on the 23rd. And that's where we are so far. With oh, so they've Clemson announced the Florida State-Clemson State game. They, yes, sir. 23rd. 23rd. What time? Uh, TBA, all that stuff. You know, that stuff oh, okay, won't be announced okay, until, okay. like, right. September the 10th. So we've got two Clemson ACC games done so far at Duke and then the home game to Florida game State. Florida State. Correct. Yeah, of course, we knew they were going to be home against Florida State, just didn't know mm-hmm. when. So yep. playing Florida State early. Yes. Second league game will be against Florida State. Where's the drama yep. in that? Yeah, I know. I don't know why you wouldn't push that towards the tail end of the season. Mm-hmm. Interesting. <clears throat> Interesting. All right, back to the phones we go before we hit the bottom of the hour break. Appreciate the patience. Let's go to... Um, Gamecock Larry over in Swansea. Hello, Gamecock Larry. How you doing? Doing hey, fine. Everybody. Doing fine. Do everybody. I tell you what, I watched I I got to make a, a, a restate from I've been 
hollering about I wasn't going to watch this basketball team and all that. But once the game cock always a game cock. I did watch that game Saturday afternoon, and I had it up, had my radio on, and they had it plugged into my ear, TV on mute. And i tell you what, Derek Scott, he is one of the best. And if, if, if you could have listened to him, boy, I mean, that officiating was bad, 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 bad. Because Derek called it like he sees it, and it was bad. But you can't lay it on the officiator. We give up a 10-point lead in less than a minute and a half. In the fourth quarter, we give up a 10-point lead. Nothing Georgia did but our sloppy play. But I will say the officiating was bad. And uh, one other thing I wanted to say, oh, yeah, got my fingers crossed, got my toes crossed. And I think we're going to get this young man, but I can't be sure. But something something keeps telling me he's coming to Carolina. What makes you feel that way? I mean... I, I just got a feeling he's gonna they gonna sit down tonight and his daddy gonna tell him. So you know Curtis Pride out there in Carolina, he's been an Olympic coach two or three times. He's been he won the championship and he done that and uh, they got a track and all out there in Oregon, but do they have the kind of coach and the kind of program that the Gamecocks have? I don't think so. And that's why I believe he's coming to Carolina. If he don't, wish him well. Wish him well if he don't. But I sure, I sure would love to have him come to Carolina. For, and uh, I, I want to, I don't know, okay. I want to tell all, I want to tell uh, Keith down in, in uh, Camden. And I want to tell Tiger. Brian up there, I think it's at Greenwood. No, he's in and Lancaster. Want, he's in Lancaster. Okay. I want to tell all you, sound like you Clemson fans. Well, I know Tiger Brian is. But let me tell all you Clemson fans, y'all can just sit back. I know you're laughing at us, laughing at our basketball team. But I can say one thing. We beat you. <laughs> we beat you. Go game cards. Come right. on, y'all. All hey, right. Come. All right. All right, Larry. Thank you. Enjoy the Geritol tonight. And we'll be back after the break. Don't go away. We give you the recruiting report tonight here on Sports Talk. Those of you watching the stream, you can watch some highlights of Braylon Staley from Aiken as we give you the recruiting report. We're going to be talking about him in just a moment. So we got some highlights from him that we are rolling on our stream. Meantime, we'll tell you that 
the folks at Sea Wells want to uh, let you know that uh, with uh, party season uh, upon us, when I say party season, I mean things like weddings and receptions and uh, corporate outings, uh, business luncheons, things like that, things that require great food and organization and complete setup and complete cleanup and takedown. Well, Seawells, I mean, they're just the best in the business at doing that, okay? You don't stay in business doing one thing for about 80 years unless you're darn good and your reputation is golden and their reputation is gold. Just give them a call. You got something coming up. Let them help you out. 803-771-7385. You'll talk to Cal Seawell and he'll take care of business. 803-771-7385. Also, Seawell's Catering sc.com and don't forget the daily luncheon buffet it's outstanding it's a great eat and you know i was thinking the other day pat there's a i heard a, a band out there being uh, advertised um and the the last part of their name was let's see, what was the name of that band uh something sweats but it made me think of what you said about the meat, the sweats. meat sweats yeah but that's not the name of the band. The band's something else. Something sweats. Do you find it? I have not. But it had, but you, it had me thinking about what you said about the meat sweats when you go to Sea Wells. Love a good case of the meat sweats, especially when they give me my big old side of gravy that I like to get there at Sea Wells. But uh -huh. the menu ahead this week is fantastic. I'm a bit disappointed. I missed today. It looks like they had a new, a new menu item. Irish beef stew sounds delicious. I do not recall seeing that before. Tomorrow, every bit is as tasty, though. Pulled pork. Southern fried chicken and fried fish nuggets, of course, to go along with sidebar, all the local fixings you can handle and dessert. Excellent. 11 till 2, Monday through Friday, for the daily luncheon buffet. All right, on to recruiting. Late Saturday night after Clemson wrapped up the junior day, Tigers got a commitment from defensive tackle Champ Thompson, 6'3", 280. And uh, he was heavily, heavily recruited. Other offers South Carolina, Georgia, Texas, Oklahoma, Arkansas, Florida State, Alabama, Michigan, Auburn, Miami, North Carolina, Penn State, Notre Dame, and most recently, Colorado. He narrowed his list to Clemson, Georgia, Georgia Tech, Ole Miss, Florida State, Penn State, and Miami before settling on the Tigers, who offered him last summer at camp. He also visited Clemson during the season for the NC State and Syracuse games. Georgia also had him in for two games during the season. He went to Alabama last summer. His father was an offensive tackle at Tennessee and in the NFL, and he was considered by at least one recruiting service a Georgia lean earlier in the recruiting process. Last season, 11 games, he had 38 tackles, seven tackles for loss, three sacks. He was the fourth commitment for Clemson at that time. And then this afternoon, safety Noah Dixon, 6'2", 175, LaGrange, Georgia, made his public pledge to Clemson. And he camped at Clemson in June, not long after being offered by the Tigers June 1, was at Clemson for a visit in mid-May. He did not make it to a Clemson uh, home game last fall, did not make it to Clemson. He did take in the Clemson-Georgia Tech game in Atlanta. He also visited Georgia in January for a junior day. He was at Georgia for a visit in May. He went to Georgia Tech the weekend of January 21st for their junior day. His offers included USC, Notre Dame, Auburn, West Virginia, Michigan State, Ohio State, Oklahoma, Kentucky, Georgia, Arkansas, Michigan, Texas A&M, Alabama, Stanford, Georgia Tech, Ole Miss. According to Max Preps, last season, Dixon was in on 40 tackles. 
He also plays receiver, had 18 catches, 248 yards, three touchdowns. So that's five in the 24 class. Now, the ink, of course, not dry on the 23 recruits. We're working on the 24 class pretty heavily. Two of those in South Carolina, receiver Mazio Bennett, offensive guard Blake Franks, Greenville High. Both were busy over the weekend with Bennett visiting USC on Saturday and Franks visiting Clemson Saturday and Auburn on Sunday. Their coach, Greg Porter, spoke with both of them today. And he said both are moving pretty quickly toward decisions with Bennett being an any day or any week sort of thing coming off his visit with the Gamecocks. Coach Porter said, quote, I think he had a great time. It was really a positive experience. I think Shane Beamer and his coaching staff have done a tremendous job in recruiting him. I think they have been very consistent, especially after he decommitted from the Tennessee situation. I think they just showed the young man what love is all about and what family is all about. I think that's what he's looking for, something that's going to remind him of his family and where it feels like home to him. This past weekend was a really strong, positive thing for them, end quote. So he committed to Tennessee last October, decommitted in December, and Coach Porter wants to make sure that, you know, that doesn't happen again. He wants to make sure when he makes this decision, makes this commitment, that it sticks. And, you know, could he do something on signing day? He didn't think so. He didn't think he wanted to upstage any of the seniors who will be signing. He did put out a tweet, Bennett did, put out a tweet about an hour ago saying he's going to shock the world here pretty soon. So we'll see. He went to Alabama for a junior day on January 7th. He checked out Miami the next weekend while he was there for a seven-on-seven. Seven. As a matter of fact, his coach told me he plays for a seven-on-seven seven team in Miami. So he goes to Miami all the time. So going down there is nothing unusual for him. He also visited USC in July for their cookout and returned for a game in September. As for Franks, USC and Clemson have been the strongest with him. He was at USC on the 21st for their junior day. And he is basically a torn according to his coach, torn between the two schools, USC and Clemson. Of course, you got to be happy with one of them. He said he and his family are coming up with a plan for their announcement as well. I don't think they want to uh, ride this out to his senior year, the coach said. He wants to get it done. Auburn visit, however, gave Franks a third option to consider. The recruiter at Auburn was his recruiter at Ole Miss, offensive line coach Jake Thornton, so he had a prior relationship with him but probably going to come down to South Carolina Clemson and probably something within the next couple of weeks at the latest. Aiken, wide receiver, Braylon Staley, six feet, 175. He's also a state champion in the triple jumps, a tremendous athlete. He was at Clemson Saturday for the junior day. He said it felt great. Uh, he met with uh, uh, Dabo Sweeney and Tyler Grisham. He loved what Sweeney had to say about life after football and what Clemson can do for you there. I enjoy talking to Grisham. They say he can play slot or outside. They really, really want him, he said. Auburn just offered him, and Georgia offered today. Uh, this is becoming a high-profile recruitment. Alabama, Wake Forest, Vanderbilt, North Carolina, Georgia Tech, NC State, Virginia Tech, Miami, and West Virginia, among other offers. Clemson coaches have made it clear to him, he said, that they want him 
He said Coach Sweeney told him he wants him bad. He asked him, what's taking too long? He was like, is there anything you're waiting on? And he said he told him, no, sir. And he said Coach Grisham was telling me and another recruit that they love our film, love what we do, and they are just waiting for us to commit. I believe the other one to be uh, the wide receiver in North Carolina, Alex Taylor, who may be close to doing something with Clemson as well. So Staley has also taken visits to Georgia Tech, Wake Forest, and North Carolina this month. They were all good visits, but the Clemson visit certainly got his attention. He's got the Tigers pretty much at the top of his list right now, he said. He got a couple up there, but uh, uh, he said uh, from his visits so far, they are his favorite. Clemson is his favorite from his visits. He does plan on taking some visits during the spring and commit after his official visits, not really getting much from South Carolina at this point. Of course, his dad, Brian Staley, was a major prospect out of Aiken in the early 2000s, had 26 high school interceptions, if you can believe that, 26 career high school interceptions. Signed with Clemson, but went to Georgia military for two years, became a junior college All-American, and then ended up going to Mississippi State. As for the younger Staley, 930 receiving yards, nine touchdowns. You ever notice how popular the name Staley is in our state? <laughs> Deuce Staley, mm -hmm. Brian Staley, now Braylon Staley, of course, the Staleyest of them all, Dawn Staley. Very popular. I'm going to change my name to Staley. My name is you know, Phil speak, Staley. Speaking of Dawn Staley, I heard on the television broadcast yesterday, or they went over Alabama, they, they were coming home on charter yesterday, and no Wi-Fi on the plane. So Coach Staley could not watch the NFC Championship game. Of course, she's a devout Philadelphia Eagles fan. No, was thinking, come on, USC, you got to be able to get Wi-Fi on the plane so your head coach can watch your favorite team, right? Well, I think they had a choice. It was either Wi-Fi or two engines on the plane. They chose the two <laughs> engines. So, I mean, it was a tough call. <laughs> Always go with the two engines. Always go with the two engines. <laughs> All right, we continue. Uh, according to Howard High School coach Paul Carroll in Macon, Georgia, defensive end Zay Hardy, will sign Wednesday at 9 o'clock, but most likely not with USC. Uh, Hardy also has several junior college options. He committed to USC back in August, and he's taken down off his social media any reference to uh, USC. He previously had stated that he planned to sign with USC, so either things didn't work out for him academically where they, they couldn't take him or they decided to move elsewhere. Then again, He's a highly regarded player at defensive end, and we all know South Carolina needs defensive ends. So must have been something on his end that's not allowing this to happen. Told you about talking to Nick Harbour's dad. We'll have a story up later tonight on the website, but basically he told me they're going to sit down tonight after getting home so late from Oregon and not talking about it today, going to talk about it tonight. He thinks they'll come up with a decision tonight. Uh, all the schools are still in it. Nobody's been cut. And they had a really good visit to Oregon, as you might expect. They showed him the track side of things uh, real heavy, uh, and they enjoyed it. And um, coaches have been calling, talking to him, talking to the son, and they just got to make a decision. And I don't believe anybody outside their cocoon knows what it's going to be. There's a lot of people out there suggesting this, suggesting that. Maryland Insider thinks he's going there. Gamecocks Insider thinks he's going there. Probably Oregon insiders think they're going there. Probably got some Michigan insiders think they're going there. 
this is where I just kind of sit back and let it happen. And we'll see what happens. USC made the first cut down to 11 with athlete Jalewis Solomon of Ellaville, Georgia. The others are Georgia, Miami, Florida, Ohio State, Southern Cal, Colorado, Alabama, Auburn, Florida State, and Georgia Tech. USC offered 2025 quarterback A.J. Brand of Urbo and 2026 defensive back Samari Matthews of Cornelius, North Carolina. 2026 linebacker Cameron Melvin of Garner, North Carolina, was at USC Saturday. USC target 2025 defensive tackle Elijah Griffin was offered by Colorado. He was at USC Saturday. Clemson offered linebacker Drew Woodaz of Tampa and defensive end Darian Mayo of Olney, Maryland. Of course, Woodaz's brother plays for Clemson. West Florence running back Darren Lloyd committed to Coastal Carolina. Had 400 yards, you tell me, rushing in one game against Hartsville? 398 and six touchdowns. Said that was a pretty good game, huh? Pretty good. (laughs) Blythewood tied in Anthony Thurman. River Bluff running back Cooper Johns. Defensive end Devont, Devonve, Devonve, Devonve Pettis. Shelby, North Carolina, they all committed to the Citadel. Baseball, 2026 shortstop, States Far. States nice. Far. Too bad his last name's not fair. No, far, or Farm. <laughs> or Farm, that's right. He would have had an NIL deal already yeah. locked up. <laughs> States Far of Spartanburg, 2026 class, committed to U.S. of C. Or U of S.C. Nope, we've dropped the of. Thank God. We've dropped the of. With that, we wrap up recruiting right here on Sports Talk. We have got to go to a break. And time permitting, oh, we got callers waiting. We got Jim Corbett coming up, keeping an eye on the murder, murder trial. And as I said last week, time to time, he's going to drop in and update us on what's happening as things progress there. As we try to do a, a good deed for the state and bring you some coverage of that, because it is a big deal in our state. Got Jim coming up. Time permitting. We'll uh, hit a phone call or two, and we'll be back after the break. Touchstone Energy Cooperative members save more, more on electricity, and members save more on insurance, groceries, health care, restaurants, travel, concerts, and sporting events through co-op connections. Touchstone Energy is an alliance of the member-owned electric cooperatives, and as a member, the power is yours. Experience the power of co-op membership with Touchstone Energy and find out how much you can save on electricity and a whole lot more at touchstoneenergy.com. When your day calls for some winning, why not watch your favorite football team at Dave & Buster's? We've got massive HDTVs and hundreds of the hottest new games. Sit from our chef-crafted cocktail menu with exclusive drinks such as the strawberry watermelon margarita or dangerous waters. Cheer on the team with cantina nachos or wings featuring one of our 12 wings flavors. When your day calls for some winning, it's time for Dave & Buster's, where you can watch the games and play the games. Locations in Greenville, Columbia, and Myrtle Beach. Join the Trailblaze Challenge, the endurance hike program where big hearts come together for big steps to create hope for local wish families through Make-A-Wish South Carolina. This spring, take part in a new journey on the Palmetto Trail. From sunrise on the highest peak in South Carolina to the coastal marshes of the Lowcountry, hikers of all levels can support critically ill children, enjoy and explore the outdoors, and build... Touchstone Energy Cooperative members save more, more on electricity, and members save more on insurance, groceries, health care, restaurants, 
travel, concerts, and sporting events through co-op connections. Touchstone Energy is an alliance of the member-owned electric cooperatives. And as a member, the power is yours. Experience the power of co-op membership with Touchstone Energy and find out how much you can save on electricity and a whole lot more at touchstoneenergy.com. The story you're about to see is true. The names have been changed to protect the innocent. Welcome in Jim Corbett, attorney here in Columbia. Good friend, good friend of the show. And the man keep with an eye on the Murdoch trial down in Walter Burroughs. I'm sure everybody involved in, uh, well, law enforcement and the law and some form or fashion is watching what's happening there. The entire nation is watching. So we thought from time to time when Jim had something to say, he could join us and fill us in on a few highlights. Jim, great to have you with us. And um, what's ha what's transpired there from like Friday through today? Hey, Phil, how are you? Um, it, it's, it's the trial. It's not the smoking gun. This is circumstantial evidence trial. It's the evidence that's needed to create timeline, create all the issues, the, all the... Uh, uh, the evidence that the prosecution has to to show in a circumstantial case that um, the Alex Murdoch did the murders. Um, and, you know, it was funny. There was a, a publication we both read that had a story opening the trial and, and that the defense or the uh, prosecution was going to try to prove their case without, you know, any eyewitness testimony in any video. On the same page was the, the story of the, the, the tragic killing of a, a postal worker in Florence whose killer was also convicted without any kind of um, uh, eyewitness evidence or video evidence. Now, I do think they had the murder weapon introduced in that case. So, you know, it's kind of kind of interesting how people look at this case, but it's a circumstantial evidence case, and this is building block time, building block for the prosecution on Friday and on Monday, um, and this is the time where the defense lawyers try to find one or two things in each witness's testimony they can point to later on that say, this doesn't add up, this doesn't make sense. Yeah. Um, prosecution did get into evidence guns, but not the murder weapons. They were guns like them. And Jim Griffin argued against it on the path of defense, saying that it was, you know, it was prejudicial. And that's, that's an appeal point. You know, these lawyers, remember, are also making sure that they're making grounds for appeal in case they lose, they can appeal it and, you know, maybe get a, a bad verdict over uh, overturned. Um, you know, I don't know if this is going to be a classic circumstantial evidence case, but it looks like it's lining up. But you never know until you, you see all the evidence and you look back and say, yep, that's it. Um, and as the defense is only trying to find one or two things per witness uh, to find that doubt for which you have a reason. And in fact, you know, they really just have to find one juror who's a holdout. There could be 11 to 1, and that's not a conviction. It has to be 12-0. Um, you have the investigator from SLED, Worley, who was on the stand Monday, uh, Friday and Monday. Um, and, you know, this is the type of thing a defense lawyer tries to get out, uh, Dick Carpootlian, uh, according to reports, uh, asked her uh, if there's any other evidence that might have been tampered with in the scene because they were talking about the tire tracks and how they could have been messed up and constantly pointing out that the scene might have been compromised. And Worley said, apparently, no idea. And, of course, Harpooling said, yes, you're right. You have no idea of any other evidence that might have been um, you know, tampered with by the officers responding to the crime scene. Now, of course, they say in response to some of these questions, things like, well, we don't respond to a murder scene wearing, you know, 
coverings on our shoes because we're there to, to see if there's an active shooter and what's happened. So there, there's a give and take that's happening. And uh, I found it uh, a little unusual that the criticisms you'll see on Twitter. You ever seen people criticize on Twitter before? Never! <laughs> the prosecution uh, led by Creighton Waters has presented no evidence so far. And I looked up this person, and she's apparently a law student, and one of many who can express her opinion. Mm-hmm. And then other people saying that Dick Harpoolian is fumbling around, but you never know what they're setting up in a circumstantial evidence case. You never know what points they're trying to make. Um, you know, Friday, the, the jury heard the 911 tape from Alex Murdo. Uh, they heard, heard and saw the interview with Alex Murdo with the police. They saw Murdo. Uh, listening to these, they saw Murdoch choosing to see or looking at the, the crime scene pictures, which are horrible. The jurors had a chance to see him react to all the things that he said and did that night. Um, there were phone records that were showing, you know, the Instagram video from Paul showing that Alex was there, his dad, who was accused of the murders. Um, phone records showing that, that uh, he was in the area, and then it goes silent, and that Paul's goes silent, all showing this timeline for the murder which the defense is trying to break by finding that one or two things per witnesses or maybe just one witness to break that timeline if people uh, on the jury a doubt for which they have a reason. Uh, so they're all setting things up for, you know, the final, the closing arguments, which people, you know, often look to at trials. Um, there's no smoking gun in this case. There's no smoking gun when you turn in uh, on the TV. It's not going to give you that gratification. If you saw the part that convinced you, it's got to be circumstantial evidence. It's a case that's building over three weeks and they're just in, you know, week number two. Now, that's three weeks if the defense presents evidence. They don't have to. Um, but, you know, studies have shown that some people make up their minds at the opening arguments, and they never sway after that. And sometimes they do. Hmm. So what has been fed already by Creighton Waters in the opening argument that won the day with some jurors that simply was shown through all the evidence. Um, and just so the, the viewers, the listeners are, are clear, the judge says every time they stop and go out of the courtroom, the judge says to the jurors, don't talk about this case among yourselves or anyone else. That's repeated over and over and over. You're not allowed to talk about the case until you've heard all the evidence and the judge is charging the law. And that's probably the most difficult thing for the jurors, not talking about the case during this two or three weeks. Jim, thank you so much. We'll catch up with you later in the week as this thing develops, but it's starting to build. You can certainly tell in your voice and with the information. We really appreciate it. We'll talk to you later in the week. All right, Phil. Thank you. Thank you very much. All right, Jim Corbett, keeping an eye on the uh, Murdoch case. And like he said, circumstantial, circumstantial. We'll see what happens. Yeah. All right, we've got the Clemson schedule. Let me run through it very quickly. Or you want to do it? Yeah, I'll, I've got it in front of me. Go, they open go. up with Duke, as go. we mentioned, then Charleston Southern, Florida Atlantic, Florida State, all at home. Then they go to Syracuse to wrap up September. They open October against Wake Forest at home. Open date on the 14th. Then they visit Miami on the 21st. Go to Raleigh to face NC State on the 28th. November 4th, Notre Dame in town to face the uh, Tigers. They'll host Georgia Tech in North Carolina to wrap up the home schedule on the 18th and then go to South Carolina on the 25th. It's a fan-friendly schedule from a travel standpoint. I mean, if you're a Tiger fan, you go to Duke, and then you do go to Syracuse. And I mean, that's a little bit of a stretch. Miami's not awful. You're just there. You go to Raleigh, Mm -hmm. and you go to Columbia. So, I mean, that's pretty doggone easy. Mm -hmm. Durham. Miami, Syracuse, Raleigh, and Columbia. Only two games out of the Carolinas. And, you know, South Carolina's got a pretty friendly travel schedule as well this coming year. So, I mean, from the standpoint of, um, yeah, they do have they do have Missouri and they do have Texas A&M on the road. But outside of that, everything else is, is drivable for South Carolina fans too. So, 
that will do it. Sorry we couldn't get to all the calls. We'll get to you tomorrow night. You can hang till tomorrow or call us back. Otherwise, Chris, Pat, have a great night. We'll see you tomorrow. Yeah.